Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, welcome back. Bailey Hancock here. Today we have another one of my former GA besties, Anya. Oh God, I just realized I never say your last name out loud. Anya Ivarova? Ivarova. Ivarova. Oh my God, I've known you for like four years and I realized I've never out loud said your last name. Dude. Oh man, you know, friends. Um, That's so funny. So yes, I have Anya Ivarova, who I've literally known for like four years now. And we go way back. We worked at General Assembly together in the early glory days. Um, And we're both now off doing our own things and ironically, both in the career space. So Anya is CEO and founder of career.me, which is, well, I'll let her tell you all about that. So I'm excited to have Anya on because she has always been in the career resource coaching um, kind of space. And obviously I'm obsessed with that kind of stuff and she's kind of the best. So there's that. So Anya, welcome to the party. Thank you. Thank you, baby. Hey, so glad you're here. And we've been trying to record this podcast for months now. And so it's finally happening, which means this was exactly when it was supposed to happen. Yes. That's where we're going to go with. (laughs) So Anya, I always kick this off with what did little Anya want to be when she grew up? Oh my goodness. It was a mix between a psychologist and a writer. So I think the psychology side came from analyzing and observing everything around me. I was an only child raised by a single mom, immigrant story, came here from Ukraine. So I was always just kind of looking around, trying to understand the world and find answers. And I love talking to people and analyzing people. That's the like good Jewish girl in me, you know? (laughs) Um, But then I also love writing. And I, I still tend to write and I still tend to analyze. So I'd like to think I'm still a psychologist and writer. And You way. are. Well, it's funny. All of the career focused professions um, that I've had on the show either all have a psychology background or they wanted to be a psychologist or something like that. Yes. So it's not surprising. I mean, with careers, you really, especially if you're going to help somebody figure out their career, you have to really dig into their brain and understand why they want to do what they do. Yes, absolutely. Very cool. What, when did you move here? What is here? Uh, so yeah. I moved so to the U.S. So I moved from Ukraine in 1992. I was four oh, years wow. old. And my mom and I moved to Cleveland, Ohio, a small suburb outside of Cleveland. So I grew up in the burbs of Ohio uh, and then went to Ohio State in Columbus. Oh, that's right. I forgot we're actually mortal enemies because I'm a gator, especially right now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, that's okay. We love each other anyway. Yeah. So what did you end up going to school for? International relations and Russian. So I double majored. Yeah, I know. I started off in communications after one quarter of that realized, oh my God, this is not what I want to do at all. It's something I'm interested in, but I don't want to do it. Uh, And then I switched over into a diplomacy track in international relations and decided to spruce up my Russian language skills. I could always speak, but I couldn't read or write until college. Mm, Interesting. What about communications didn't you like? Oh, man. Um, First of all, I wasn't really good in my classes. Even when I really tried, I got like a C or like a B. I just, it wasn't, I I clearly wasn't very good. And this was like communications 101 and stuff. So I I just wasn't doing something right. Um, But I also found that I just, I have to be really passionate about the material. Mm. And I feel like communication, the communications major in college is more of like a vehicle. So here's how you do it. Here are all the tools. Now find something that you're passionate about. At that point, I wanted to focus more on the meat of a topic. And international relations is super fascinating. I mean, I haven't used the degree too much, uh, but you get to learn all about history and cultures and all that good stuff. You know? Yeah, what did you think you were going to do with it when you were going through it? Travel for work. So I thought that I would maybe get into politics and be a diplomat. And then I realized, oh, my God, I'm too much of a business person. You know, um, what I'm innovative. You off to that? Yeah, what, what made you realize you were a business person? Hmm. I, I have, I think I have always been a business person and I always knew that I loved business. I was the person who, when there were family get togethers and by family, I mean, my mom was dating somebody and then we would join his family (laughs) for dinner. But I was always the person who would find that one guy or girl who always wanted to talk about business ideas. And then we would just sit and collaborate and talk about it. And it could be anything. So it could be like expanding a little Caesars franchise across Pennsylvania 
You guys, you know, I love Little Caesar so hard and everybody <laughs> makes fun of me for it. <laughs> it's good, Caesar dude. Bread. It's affordable and good. Crazy bread. That's what it yes. was. Yes. Oh, man. Anyway, go Absolutely. On. Um, but I would always expand on people's business ideas like that. Um, yeah. So did you ever have any of your own like entrepreneurial pursuits or business ideas as a kid or a teenager or anything? <laughs> I did. Um, I think the earliest, I had a couple. So the earliest one that I can remember, I think I was 11 or 12 years old. And in a newspaper ad, I found that I could order this like kit to make these creative do-it-yourself magnets. Oh. And they were like little magnets on a refrigerator that, um, that held potpourri, but you have to actually create the little potpourri, like the little net. So you have to create that with these little tools from this kit. And then you put the little potpourri in and then it sticks to the magnet and you can create like 10 or 20 of these and then sell them. Oh. And I did like, I created maybe three and then it got <laughs> hard or boring or something. And then I, and then I quit. So I, I did lots of stuff like that. And I would join like, you know, those little drives in elementary school where you could go knocking door to door and then like sell candy bars. And stuff, yeah. I did that too. Yeah. So those are the little ways that I tried to make some money. You know, it's funny though. I think that's an important entrepreneur lesson. It takes a lot of guts to say, you know what, this isn't going to do it for me anymore. I'm moving on to something else. Yeah. But the nice thing is, is that when you're a kid, I think it's a natural boredom. Yeah. So when you're an adult, it's more of a conscious decision and you're sort of I find that as an adult, you worry, I worry more around, do I quit this? Do I start this? It, the ego gets involved. But when you're a kid, it's like, oh, screw it. This is, this is now boring. I don't want to do it. I, I started and quit so many things growing up. And I'm really thankful that my mom allowed me to do that because it kind of, yeah. it shows you how to really pay attention to your curiosity and notice whether you're actually finding enjoyment from that thing. And I think having a parent that was like, it's okay to quit things as long as you really saw it through and you really gave it a chance yeah. um, because it means you can then focus your energy and attention on something else that you might actually really like. I mean, I finally, like I did every sport growing up just to try it out. And the only one that stuck was dance and lacrosse. The other, all the rest of them, I was like, I'm out. This is blame. I'm going to go home after school and watch, you know, the WB instead of going to soccer practice. Dude, you're lucky. I was the girl who tried out for all of the sports. <laughs> I think I told you this at General Assembly. And <laughs> I got cut at the first try of every single sport, Aww. including cheerleading, which I thought I would be like enthusiastic and excited enough to be picked. No, I wasn't. But track, I did really well in. So track, okay. I went on to win awards and run and, and I was, you know, impressive and I was proud of myself. But that was it. Everything else I was horrible at. So I find it also interesting in life when sometimes it is black and white. Like you're really good at this, but other stuff just is a definite no. Honestly, I think that's more easy sometimes if it's an obvious no versus a, I don't know, I guess I could get better at this or I guess I could yeah. make this work. That's harder, especially for multi-passionates who are like, I'm pretty decent at a lot of stuff. Yes. You know? When it's not clear what you should double down on, that's tricky. Yes. Yeah. So what happened after college? Oh, after college. Um, so after college, right away, I started working at uh, ITT Technical Institute oh. as an admissions, admissions producer. So really similar to the work that I was doing later on in the years at General Assembly and other schools. Um, I started out by speaking with students about transitioning their careers, getting a master's degree in like engineering and computer science and stuff giving students tours around the school. And I, like, I loved it. I mm. thought it was so much fun. I loved everybody that I worked with. I loved working at a school. And I've always been really, really passionate about education, which is why I ended up being in the education industry for 10 years and counting. Um, I just love being around teachers and students. Did you ever think about going, in back, going back after undergrad and getting an additional degree for yourself? Absolutely, many times. Um, many, many times. But every time that I look at degrees out there, I really struggle to see what is the difference between them. And when I look at that price point, the entrepreneur in me just, it, I just sort of shrug my shoulders and realize that I can go out and get that education myself. Yeah. That's how I feel about it personally. I'm with you. I mean, I have an MBA and yeah. I don't know that it really added a whole lot of tools to my toolkit. Um, it taught me how to do well in group projects, which I suppose is important, but 
it's the least attractive feature of, you know, college and in grad school is like, mm. oh great, everything's a damn group project. Awesome. This means I'm going to do 90% of the work and the presentation and the project management. Awesome. Um, but you know, those are good skills, but same with you. I think the, the attraction is for people that just like to learn. I mean, I wish there was, I wish there was more out there for people that just wanted to continuously learn. And I guess there is between online courses and webinars and that kind of stuff. But like, it's a place. College is so magical. Not even like the fun parts of it, but just the campus and the libraries and like the big trees. <laughs> and that your whole job is to learn day in yeah. and day out. You're reading, you're writing, you're doing homework. And if you're the academic type, which I think you are, I definitely am. Mm -hmm. It's to me, it's almost like an excuse. You know, yeah. it's almost like a spiritual retreat, but for your brain, like, great. Yeah. I get to go and I just get to read and learn for a year or two. And that I love, but in the end, again, the price point and the fact that I don't quite see differentiating factors mm -hmm. between the degrees, all the MBAs look the same. And then you kind of look, okay, well, the networks are different, but right. how different are they? And then ultimately you have to, you have to really know what skills you want right now and where you might be in five or 10 years. And that can be a really hard thing for people to answer. Yeah. It's unfortunate that college has become more of a if you're not going to make money from that degree directly, then it sort of is not a good use of your time or money, which is, it's unfortunate, you know? I mean, back in yeah. the day, meaning thousands of years ago, you got to learn just for the sake of learning and just casually, you know, of course, this is super wealthy families and all of that, but um, yeah, it's a bummer. I would love to be able to just take a couple years here and there throughout my life and just go be a student. And yes. just learn for the sake of learning, not because it was going to lead to a potential job or raise or something like that, but because it was just cool to know stuff. I think yes. it's, and I guess that's where reading comes in. Are you a big reader now? Yeah. What am I reading right now? I just got a book on Kriya yoga. So it's the type of, yeah, I know it's, <laughs> it's sort of the type of, it's sort of like, like the absolute root of spiritual yoga. So some parts of it are physical, but some parts of it are also mantras and meditation and stuff. Um, yeah, that's the latest book that I've been reading. I guess that's as close as we can come to just learning for the sake of learning is reading because it's I, low cost. I mean, the amount of money I spend on Amazon buying books on my Kindle is disgusting, but it's cheaper yes. than college tuition. So I guess there's that. Yes, dude. Kindle is the best. Yeah. No, my, my Kindle would weigh 8,000 pounds <laughs> if it were actual books. But it's great. I have a tendency to fall into the nonfiction mostly. I don't often read fiction. I, I kind of wish I did, but even with books, I have that same sneaky like little, well, how is this going to help you in your business? How is this going to help you as, you know, your professional development? Even though obviously nonfiction or sorry, fiction helps build you out in so many other ways. But if anybody has good fiction recommendations, please give me a shout on Instagram or email or something because I'm always looking and yeah, I always fall to the nonfiction category. Yeah, I get that. Well, I think that this is both fiction and nonfiction. Oh, there's a couple of good authors, but I'm I'm also in the midst of this book. I believe that the title is Women Who Run With Wolves. Have you heard oh, of it? Oh, wait, I literally have that sitting on my nightstand next that to me. Amazing. I've only made it through like chapter one because I get sucked into my phone at night instead of reading, which is a terrible habit. But I know that it keeps like calling out to me. It keeps being recommended from multiple people. So yeah. It's very beautiful. Yeah. And when it was recommended to me, I also thought, oh my gosh, how hippy dippy is this going to be? How special can it really go? And then you realize that they're just short stories, a collection of short stories, like mythical stories from all over the world that expose female evolution, things like love and romance, like the root of how we feel and and how we work with the world. And it's this really positive book too, because a lot of books like this tell you you're lost, that sucks, and you can't find yourself. And this book says, hey, you might be a little bit lost, or you might be really lost, but you can start finding yourself today. Hmm. And I like it. I, I think it's special. Okay, you're like the fifth person that's brought it up, so that really means I have to read it. Usually yes. I go by with the rule of three. If three people recommend something to me, then I'm like, okay, fine. I will go read it. I will go buy it. I will go check it out. So nice. this is way above that. Okay. So when you left college, what was your, okay. After ITT, that's right. Yeah. So did that. How long were you there and, and what made you move on to the next thing? Oh gosh. I, I think I was there for about a year, about a year. Um, what made me move on? I really wanted to start traveling for my job. So I loved working in the education industry, but 
I kept looking at my degree. I kept thinking about how I'm so passionate about travel. I still loved education. So I was really not looking narrowly at things. I was like, I love education and I want to stay in the industry. I really want to travel. And I got really lucky because I, I sort of channeled all of that energy into my career search. And I started looking online and I started straight up like cold calling colleges and universities talk like I would call international departments and I would say hey here's who I am here's the work that I'm really interested in doing maybe I can help you market the work that your department does maybe I could help you assist you in traveling to China to do x y and z I mean I was just pitching out there right always pitching that's always the entrepreneur yeah it was it was fun and people considered me but in the end I didn't have this really clear academic focus either. So I wanted to travel, but I didn't really care where. Um, I was good at sales, but I didn't really have a particular focus. So I think I was still still a generalist at that mm. point. And then luckily I came upon a company called Intrax Pro World. Um, so those are together somehow. And I, I don't, I, I realize that name might sound a little bit funny, but they're an awesome company. Um, they create international entrepreneurship programs all over the world. Wow. So in other words, Perfect. like, yeah. So like 10 Vanderbilt students going to work at Microsoft in Paris for the summer. And I would be the person who then I got the job and I would be the person who traveled to universities across the East and West coast. Um, I would meet these students. I would look at their resumes. I would talk, talk to them about the program and I would basically set up their interviews with my company. Um, and then I would also talk to professors and help them create the actual internship program. So what goes into the curriculum and all of that. And I loved it. And mm -hmm. I mean, I was doing, I think I was doing a little bit of everything. So like business development, knocking on professors doors, um, helping with admissions and students. And that when we, when I think about career.me, that is the first time that I think I realized something was really off about mm -hmm. career services at all of these colleges. Um, I saw that there were four to five career, so career services offices, they do like professional branding and mock interviewing and basically try to help students find jobs, right? But there's usually like three to five people per office. Um, they have really no technology supporting them other than I think a CRM system, so mm -hmm. something that houses all student names. And students generally don't even know that there's a career services office on campus. And the ones who do know there's a career services office are like type A, really good students, really yeah. on top of their game. And they're they freaking need them awesome. Less. Right? <laughs> yeah, yes. They've already got their shit together, you know? But students who are struggling are like international students, right? who oftentimes career services maybe didn't know how to help, maybe helped a little bit less, maybe pushed them to the international department. So I started seeing that there are students that are falling through the cracks. You know, I would shake their hands at these career services offices and I would, or these fairs, and I would look at student resumes and I would, I just saw that a lot of students were really unsure of their skill sets and what they wanted to do next. And I started wondering, well, why isn't your career services office helping you with this? And why don't you feel comfortable going to them? And why do you feel so comfortable going to me for all of this advice? So, You know, that's something that has come up a lot. Uh, the career services departments of college either being fully underutilized by the students yeah. that need them and being totally overburdened with way too many cases for the amount of people actually working in the space. And isn't it funny, though? That's 100% that's a major issue with traditional undergrads is you know, just like what we just talked about, going to college, you kind of have to plan to get a job from your degree because otherwise the money and the time isn't worth it. And yet they provide such little resources for the students as it relates to not, I mean, getting a career is one thing, but then transitioning between your career isn't taught at all. Like if anything, you're trained on, here's how you write a resume. Here's how you go through an interview. Bye. So it's like, so you got the first job. Now what? You know, it's, it, there's so many missing pieces and big gaps in that process that, yeah, you're, you're totally onto something there. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So what happened next? So you win with this company. Did you actually get to travel the world then? Yeah, I, I did. So I visited over a hundred different universities, basically wow. hit up every almost every state on the East and West coast, went to Hawaii, um, went to Montreal, I think it's the University of Montreal in Canada. So that was beautiful. And then I went to Thailand for two months. <laughs> With the company or on your own? 
with the company. Oh, hell yes. Yeah, dude. You made yeah. it happen for yourself. Yes. Yeah, I somehow really, really did. I really think it's about knowing, like being intentional, knowing your purpose, and then channeling all of your energy there, right? I knew I wanted to travel, knew I wanted to be in education, and would not let any... I wouldn't allow any compromises to happen in that space. So I think that I almost forced everything towards that goal. You kind of have to. I mean, the job search process is so massive and amorphic and like, unless you really hone in on at least some element of it, like for you, it was travel and education, which is amazing. Like with the career experiment, my last online course, whenever people are like, how do you figure out what your next move should be? I always direct them, you know, align your, what you're great at to a role. So for you, you weren't 100% sure. That was the one you were like, I don't know, I could do kind of a lot of stuff, so whatever. Mm-hmm. You align your passions and your interests to an industry. So for you, that was education, it was travel, like those were most important for you. And the third piece is aligning your core motivators to a company culture. And so, I mean, I don't know, that one's a little bit loose too, right? But like you were so certain about the middle piece that that allowed you to find something that served that. And then the others kind of fall in, you know, most people don't care equally about all three of those. And that's good. It's good to rank them. You kind of have to, you have to prioritize what's most important. Otherwise you're going to narrow your scope so much that the likelihood of finding something that fits all of those three things is unlikely. Um, But if for you, education and travel, how did you end up finding that job? Do you remember? Online searches. I don't even know if it was like indeed or what, but I think that I randomly applied. I will say though, that I was, I was spending, I was spending all of my weekend time just researching different international companies. So one thing that I did do now that I think about it is that I, I looked specifically for companies that were in the education and international space. And a lot of times I would look for the company or I would look at the university and I wouldn't look for a job. Right. I would just look at an organization that I was already interested in and figured, well, I have a feeling that I know what you need. I'm just going to go ahead and pitch myself. Now, Intrax Pro World was hiring. So, yeah. No, but that's, I mean, that's something that comes up a lot. And I always suggest too is, you know, just find a company that's fascinating or an industry that's fascinating to you and go to their job board and even see what they're looking for. And if you're close enough to something, and even if there's not a role that's out there that like, if you're totally off from it. I think reaching out directly to HR or to somebody in the department that you'd love to work in and just expressing interest and your desire to work there as a hiring manager, you're cutting out so much work for them by doing that. You know, if somebody's already bought into the mission and the culture, why wouldn't you want them on your team? The moment you have room for them, you know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So they happen to be hiring for a position that you actually were qualified for and also wanted. Yes, absolutely. Um, they were hiring for like a full admissions slash road warrior team. So they were hiring for like three or four people. And when you talk about company culture, that was something that I didn't expect to receive. But from the first couple of interviews, I, I loved the people that I was mm-hmm. talking to. I mean, they were really funny and really smart and automatically thought that I was brilliant, which is always just a great a thing, right? When you're like, oh, this guy, I'm his favorite. Then the next person that I talk to, I'm still his favorite. And then you realize like, and that's how you want to, that's, that's how you want to feel. I, I think some people do. I want to feel that way at a company, right? I, mean, I want to feel like, you? yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I have so many friends that do not feel appreciated in their jobs and their companies. Mm-hmm. They feel like they're a burden to their managers. They're just not they're not loved and they're not respected and they're not appreciated. And damn, that's worse than having an abusive relationship like that because you're spending almost more time at your company than you are with your significant other. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's how you should feel. I always feel like interviews, you should be vibing on each other, right? Yeah. You should be like, yes. Oh, I just kind of want to hang out with you. <laughs> this would be cool if we work together. Like I like you. You got it. Yeah. yeah. So how long were you there for? I think I was there for a couple of years, two or two and a half years. And then I ended up moving on because sadly they had to lay off a bunch of their different departments and team. I think Intrax ended up closing the pro world, half of the company, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But it was great and left on really good terms and totally pitched myself into the end as well. I was like, I know you guys are laying people off, but I've, here's what I can do. Let's, let's be real. Um, So I was so confident to the end and totally left on great terms. Uh, And I still, I still talk to people that I worked with there. Like these are still my kind of side mentors and people I really appreciate. Um, So from there, then I worked 
I actually moved from Los Angeles to Phoenix, Arizona, um, where I worked for a company called Academic Partnerships. And for them, I did really similar work. I traveled to, let's see, I was working on behalf of the University of Arizona's MBA program. So what I did is I, I talked to HR departments at different corporations in the Phoenix area. And then I also targeted local city governments and basically worked to for the University of Arizona's MBA program to become an affiliate of that company or of that local government. So I would, I would pitch the U of A's MBA program all day long. And I would also talk to a heck of a lot of students who wanted to go into the U of A's um, MBA program. So I did that. To be honest, I didn't really like it. I did not like working for a corporation. Hmm. And that particular company, it just felt more corporate. And I just, it wasn't for me, you know? Yeah. Well, not everything's going to be the right fit. Even if you're doing a role that you really like, that's the shitty part about jobs, right? It's like, there's so many factors in what goes into making you actually love an entire situation, right? Like you can love the company, but hate the people. You can love the job, but hate the people. You can, you know, there are so many pieces to it. The culture can be totally off, but you love your people and you love your job. It's like those three pillars, really the, the role, the industry and the company culture are so hard to get balanced all at the same time. Oh yeah. And it can look so similar to a previous company and yet feel completely different because all these little pieces are just off. Yeah. So that was that experience. You can't always, and most of the time with culture, you can't tell what it's going to be like till you're in there. Well, that's really tough. That's a really, especially if it's a, if it's a remote gig and this one was, I didn't actually get to see the corporate office until I was hired. Mm. Um, And it was fine. It's certainly not a bad place at all. I think it's a, I'm, I'm referring to fit, you know, they're great people. I think I'm good people, but it wasn't a fit. Yeah. So what did you move on to after that? Oh, funny enough, I moved on to general assembly after that. So I did take a, a a bit of a hiatus. I, I took a break and I did a bunch of like, just bursting with creative energy and did a bunch of creative stuff. So like I had a little bit, a little bit of money saved up, left academic partnerships and like started to write a lot and play the piano and paint. And I'm a really bad painter and I'm not that good of a piano player, but I'm I'm okay writer. So I just like did all this creative stuff all day long and try to cleanse myself of all the, you know, whatever crap was in my head. That was nice um, of you to give yourself that time because a lot of people dive straight from one thing into the next. And if it was a bad thing, you do need yeah. that cleansing time. Oh, yeah. Refresh your spirit and your soul. <laughs> yeah. And, and I did that for like, I think it was four or five or, or six months. And again, I was lucky. I had a little bit of money saved up. So I was able to do that. But I was doing a little bit of everything. I mean, working concerts. I don't even know. But a couple of things that I did were really interesting. So I was roommates with a friend at the time who was a brilliant business guy. And a lot of our time was just spent creating new business ideas and trying to figure out what does this look like? How, we, how can we create a landing page? Um, and that's at the time when I also started looking at different MBA programs and thinking, well, maybe, maybe I should go back to school. I feel like I'm missing a skill set. Like mm-hmm. I have the talent to create a business, but I'm just missing these few last tools. And how do I get there? And around that time is when uh, my mentor, who I used to work with, um, he called me from General Assembly and said, we want you out here. You need to be a part of this LA team. There's like four people working here right now. (laughs) So come on out, work with these students. Uh, You're going to be great in this role. And at that time, I was nervous. I didn't know tech at all whatsoever. Really not a techie person, didn't know tech. But I thought, let me see what the culture is about. I really like that I get to work with a startup. Um, I can see how a business is actually built from the ground up and it's a school. So I'm going to put myself in a position where I'm taking these classes. And I mean, I went to GA with that plan and nothing distracted me from that plan. Um, I got the job. I loved working at GA. I loved working with students, loved advising students. Um, And I felt that I was successful at it because I was super objective. So when people actually called and asked about GA's programs. I never try to push them into UX design or engineering. I would sort of dig and find out who they were and if they were really a fit for the programs. And that was fun. And students trusted me and I was good at it. Um, So I I have really great memories of GA. 
Same. We were, we were there during a very special time of the yes. company's growth. I think I started in February of 2014. You weren't too far after, I don't think. Um, don't you were think like so. six months after, maybe. Exactly. Even, yeah. And that was the time when <clears throat> pretty much everybody that was getting a job there was being brought in by somebody there. And I think that's a really important thing yes. to note. I got brought in by our friend, John who I knew through the Santa Monica JCs, the junior chamber of commerce. Same thing with me. He was like, can you just come in for an interview? Like, you're going to love this place. It's perfect for you. And I was at the time like, no, I don't think so. I'm doing my own thing. You know, I have this thing called GSD gal. I'm an accountability coach for people in their careers. I was making all this stuff up. Um, but same as you, like that is what originally informed me on what I'm doing now with the one year career, you know, four or five years later. But John was insistent. And I think when you have somebody in your network who you trust and who knows you well, if they suggest a job, always check it out at least. Because generally, they've already done the hard part for you, which is assessing fit, right? And yeah. assessing the culture. And you know, if people have a good grasp on who you are and what, what's important to you in a career, that's the best way to find a job. Because yeah, to our point earlier, like the culture fit is the hardest part to see from the outside looking in and from a company's perspective, hiring people, if your good employees are being like, Hey, I've got this girl, you need to bring her in for an interview. I promise like you're going to love her. She's going to be perfect for this role. Absolutely. You take that opportunity, you know, yeah. it's something like 40% of hires are referrals. Um, and there's all these other crazy statistics around uh, employees that last longer are usually employees that were referred by somebody. And yeah, so it just, it, that's a huge piece of leveraging your community when looking for a job is letting those people that you trust and that know you really well, know how they can help you and support you so that they can have eyes out on the ground for you on open positions. So yeah. 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 yeah GA was a really fun, amazing place to not only like figure out who we were and expand our skill set, yes. you did a way better job than I did of taking advantage of the courses. Um, I didn't take a single course while I was there, even though it would have been friggin' free. I was just so wrapped up in work and all of that, that I just, you know, I was there for so many hours every day. I was like, I'm not coming back at night or staying here till, you know, nine o'clock every night to do it. But I do regret that big time because that's free education. Mm. And now I say like, if anybody offers you free education, you always take it. Oh yeah. Well, that's a, I, one of the big benefits of working in the education industry is that you're either taking courses or you know the best courses to take. Yeah, no, it's huge. So for you in your time at GA, what do you think, what made you happiest there? Like what was your favorite part of the job? What's the piece that, you know, if we could have kept going forever, you would have. Oh my gosh, there's so many pieces. Um, oh, that's a really tough one because it evolved for me over time. You know, your favorite thing would then move on to be your second favorite because something took its place. But I, I still very much remember how it felt to work in a group with all the other admissions producers. Because um, I answered you, myself yeah. always. <laughs> oh, I, well, I mean, that time for me was a blast. I had never had that much fun at work. I had never had that much fun at work and all of us were really working really hard and we were always emailing students and always talking to students and always meeting with students and every single admissions producer went just out of their way to make it a successful experience for the student, for the school. Yeah. I mean, just, we just put in a hundred percent and above into everything that we did and everybody, I, I just felt like our personalities clicked really well. There was a lot of BSing. There was a lot of fun. People we that really, I could actually- We really could have been a sitcom. Like, oh my God. I think not, not having a camera on <laughs> that group of people for those like, you know, that year and a half, two years where everything was just freaking hilarious and awesome is such a missed opportunity. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just- I, I remember so many goofy jokes. Like I remember Chad, for instance, right? Like I can't even say he's my favorite because all of them are my favorite, but Chad is just Chad. <laughs> um, I remember that every time somebody, so we were on like the second floor of this big building um, in Santa Monica. And I remember every time somebody would ride by in a skateboard, Chad would say that there's somebody on their horse, that it's like a horse clicking. <laughs> like It's just galloping around. And there, these types of really silly jokes throughout your day for me, it, it made it all worthwhile because you're always cracking up and they're your friends. 
I mean, and it, to be honest, I've never worked harder than at that yeah. job ever. Yes. None of us. I've never seen a group of people bust their asses more than, than during that time. But the amount of fun was out of control. I mean, <laughs> and that to me, even in that moment, I knew that this was a special scenario and I really tried to be fully present in this and, you know, yeah. soak in every moment and be like, this can't last forever. Cause this is way too good on too many levels. And it was true. And, and I think that's an important thing to hear is even when a job on paper and in reality actually ends up being close to perfect, you realize that things will change. People come, people go, your priorities shift, the company's needs shift. So everything will go through phases and that's okay, but damn, it was good. Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad that we had that time together also, because this is another important thing to note, you know, people always move on from companies, especially nowadays, like two to three years mm. max, most people stay at a company. So it's so important to build those relationships with the people that you work with, because what happens is they all go, I like to say that GA employees are like a virus. Like we all leave GA and like spread across the world and infect all these other companies. And because of that, we now have all of these connections at all of these amazing companies around the world with these people that are just incredible workers and incredible humans. And so that's a point too. Like if you do dislike your job, but you love your employee or your coworkers, always make sure to like still bring your best and show up because people remember, you know, how you work and how you were as a person in the good times and the bad. So don't forget that. People remember how you make them feel. They do. They really do. So if you're coming into work and you're starting to complain or you're starting to be crappy, you know, crappy attitude for whatever reason, your, your peers, your coworkers remember that. And I don't think any of us really want that. We don't want people to feel bad. We don't want to project our own crap onto others. So that's an interesting thing that I learned at GA2. And I would come in because I'm tired from taking classes or because I'm frustrated that I'm not learning as fast as I want to or, or whatever's going no. on. I would always have to check myself and go, none of these people deserve to get that aspect right. of me. I tried as much as possible to, to keep it in check. Well, and that's, that's a solid point because same with me, when it got to the point where the fit wasn't mm. right for me anymore and I wasn't as happy as I was and I knew it was time to move on. I mostly knew it was time to move on because I was no longer bringing the same energy and the same positivity that I was during all of the good times. And you don't want that to be the last taste of you, you know, in somebody's mind is, oh yeah, well, she was cool at one point. They don't remember the good times. They remember how you left them, you know? And so for me, I was like, I need to hurry up and get to my next thing before I make this a toxic thing. And I ruin what has been an incredible experience, both personally and professionally. So, yes. you know, if you're one of those people that are like, well, I don't love my job anymore, but I don't know what else to do. Think of outside of just yourself for a minute and recognize that your behavior and your negative attitude, which frankly, it's hard to fight when you don't like your job anymore, or you're feeling frustrated. It shows even if you don't think it's showing. Mm. Think about the people around you and how one bad teammate, one bad employee can really bring down the whole team. So even if you don't do it for you, do it for your coworkers. Yeah. Like that. Yep. They deserve better. Okay, so we both move on from GA within like a week or two of each other. Yeah. So like end of 20, what, 15. Yeah, so, so where did Anya go off to? Oh my gosh. Well, at General Assembly, I took a couple of courses. One was business fundamentals and the second one was product management. Freaking loved product management. For me, everything finally made sense. Mm -hmm. I finally saw that, okay, here's a class and here's a subject that allows me to learn all the different tools necessary to build a product, to build an idea, and then to test that idea and to keep Which on is what going. you had been doing your whole life. I had always been doing it. But there's these pieces that I was missing, like which types of softwares or programs do you use to design those ideas, mm -hmm. right? For me, I was much more of the sales side. So I can build a pitch deck and I can communicate what this idea is going to be but I'm not really sure how to A and B test it on Facebook yeah. and figure out what fits, you know? Um, so those are the types of things that I learned in product, loved it, started teaching it. Um, I think that I then ended up co-teaching one of their evening courses. And then I left GA and with a fellow UX designer who graduated from one of GA's immersive programs, 
her and I launched Fresh Conceptual, which in a nutshell was a product design firm. So we worked with entrepreneurs to help build out their MVPs. Um, she would design, I would product manage, and we helped people who had a lot of money and a lot of big ideas, root it down to an actual idea to test. And um, I loved it. It was a lot of work though. <laughs> oh was this God. your first official like entrepreneurial venture? Yes. And I knew nothing. I really knew nothing. Uh, I was really lucky. My co-founder had about six months to a year of freelance experience. So things like contracts, working with clients, project timelines. She had some sense of the rhythm and the details of that type of work. Mm. I was new to it, right? I always had a company set up structures for me. So um, I really had to double down and learn a lot of things very quickly, made a lot of mistakes, but I, I really loved that experience. And so when did career.me show up? Ooh. Well, career.me now, I believe, is a year and a half old. Um, to be fair, I tried prototyping career.me years ago when I was taking that creative break in between jobs, mm -hmm. when I was living in Phoenix, and I was still thinking about career services, and that career services should be outsourced, it shouldn't be a part of the university, and mm -hmm. I was creating landing pages, and they weren't good, and I, I gave it up. But I always had this idea in my head that this is something that I really think can and should be built. Like it was always in the back of my mind, like this is the business idea that I want to build. So Fresh Conceptual lasted for a year. Um, and then um, Kat and I decided we'll part ways, still my best friend, uh, still love her and we think about business ideas all the time. <laughs> but I knew right away, I don't wanna go into a full-time job. I wanna build a business. I now have more tools and I knew it was career.me. I just, I just knew. Um, so I called up, I called up a couple of people. I called up a couple of mentors and then I called up Ryan Proust, who is helping me build career.me. He's our head of product. Uh, and I pitched the idea to him and I said, look, career services needs to stand on its own. Here's how I think it's going to work. Um, and I think that there's a real market for it because there's a lot of students who need career support outside of what schools are providing for them. Universities tech boot camps, ITT techs, it doesn't matter. Career services can't provide the very personalized custom support that people need when they go through a career transition. Right. But I can, right? I'm available and I know all of that. And I've been working in the education industry. That time it was, you know, eight or nine years. Now it's 10 and I'm like, I got this. So Ryan and I spent a year um, just testing, testing and testing what helps people transition into careers the best how many phone calls or video calls does it take per week? What do we need to teach people as they go through career transitions? What are the real problems? How do we package this stuff? And how do, how do we create pricing that actually is affordable? That's the big thing. I, I don't yeah. want people going broke paying for my services. And career coaches are really freaking expensive. People call us and consistently say, I would say like about half of them go, I want a career coach but it's like one to $3,000 to work with one and get a plan. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's, I can't pay that. <laughs> that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And it's, especially at your point, you know, if you're in your career where you're either underpaid or you're in a job that just isn't doing it for you, chances are you're probably not making a ton of money. However, I think it's a really important thing to realize as a person that sometimes you just need the outside support. You need those strategies. You need those tools. So it's like, how can you get that without going broke in the process? Even though you know that it will be a good investment, it's like with anything, right? It's an investment. But if you don't have the money, you don't have the money, plain and simple. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So then what's the status, what's the status of career.me? And did you make this all happen? Oh my gosh. Oh, it's happening. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It started happening really quickly. We got a landing page up. I think that I let you know that I'm building career.me and our, you know, beginning pitch is still the same pitch, which is we help you get from the job you're in to the job that you want in tech. Right. So why so, tech specifically? General assembly really gave me general assembly and then building fresh conceptual um, really helped me see the nuances of getting into a tech career, how you need to retrain your brain. And uh, 
technology jobs are taking over, automating a lot of jobs that are not going to be around in the next 20 years. Um, so that bothers me a little bit because I think that a lot of people are left out of the tech industry. And if they don't have the right skills, they're going to be continue to left out. So I see it as like the haves and the have nots, mm. right? And uh, I really want to help build a bridge to the tech industry. That's a big part of why I'm focusing on tech. That's where the jobs are. And yeah. And so for people that aren't super familiar with what exactly the tech industry means, because it does feel like it's everything, right? Like every job is tech to some extent. Is it more than just coding and web development and, and software design? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I help a lot of people who want to get into like project management um, or tech sales is a really fun one. Mm. So I think that there are also a lot of, it's a lot of the roles that we're already acquainted with, but they're just a little bit different. Like you mm. need to understand the lingo that goes into the tech industry, or you need to be come comfortable with the different softwares or programs or tools that the tech industry is using. But yeah, much more than just engineering or designers. Although I will say the majority of people that I have worked with either want to be UX designers, mm. um, software engineers, tech sales, or as I mentioned, project managers, and then product managers. And there's explain the difference. difference. Yeah, explain it. Because I and I know it, but then I forget it very quickly. <laughs> sure. I mean, oh my god. So I love product management. A product manager, I would say, is is kind of like um. The best way to describe it is like a company hires them as sort of a mini entrepreneur. Mm. So a product manager is kind of in the middle of designers and engineers and business people and pulling all of these different folks together to actually build a product, test it with users and move it forward. They're always the guiding light for the product, right? Because business people at a company are always thinking about the dollar, mm. right? Designers are always thinking about the user, and always trying to design, but they kind of take their time a little bit on that. Mm -hmm. um, and then engineers are all about functionality and efficiency. And so the product manager says, hey, all of you are valuable. I'm gonna go ahead and be a diplomat here mm -hmm. and figure out what is the best way to build this, what is the best way to test it, and really keep everybody moving forward. Um, and so a product manager oftentimes comes from one of those disciplines, either a business person who learned tech, mm -hmm. which is me, a designer who wanted to kind of take on a more of a managerial role, right? And not stay in design or an engineer who said, I need to start, I need to start managing how products are built and not just code all day long. Um, so yeah, those are the, the three places I see product managers come from. A project manager is much different. So a project manager doesn't have to have any of those backgrounds. Mm. A project manager does not have to be technical, but a project manager does need to be able to wrangle in a team and keep people on time and on budget. Hmm. That's your big goal, right? You've got a scope of work. You've got a deadline. You've got a certain amount of money. I need everybody to work to make it happen by that deadline. Um, so it's different. And yeah, I, I've done both jobs. I like product more, mm -hmm. but yeah. So they're both basically team captain. Yeah, um, they are. I have found that product management is by far more challenging. Mm. There are way more pieces to think about. I have to think about how the product is built. I have to think about the user. I have to think about the budget. I have to think about how designers are going to build it. I have to see the risks coming along the way. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm literally thinking about how this product is being built and potentially how it's also being sold and how and what needs to be tested. So there's these the really heavy pieces. I have to be I have to be like in the foundation of the product. So it's way the more hands-on. Way more hands-on. Just hands -on. being like the cheerleader. Yes. Yeah. But I but team captain it, it definitely plays a role. But for project management, you don't you don't have to be in the foundation of all of that. You need to be able to manage people and keep that keep, stay under budget. So it's <laughs> mostly the money thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it is. It is. Yes. And so when people come to you at career.me, what are some of the main things that they, that they tell you are, they're struggling with in their career? Oh, quite a few. So the first one is that people want to transition into a new career, but they have no idea what skills are missing or what classes to take. That's a really big one. So they see a bunch of classes out there in person and online, 
and there's this huge variance in like how much they cost and how long these the time duration of these classes are and people just generally have no clue what they want to take and what are the skills that they need or they have some clue but then they're secretly unsure and that's why they end up signing up with career.me they're like i think this is a good course for ux design but can you help me narrow it down so that's the first one they're like at the beginning stage of their career transition and i think another really common one and why i set up career.me is because people are looking for a job and they're not getting callbacks. They're applying. Um, they're whatever they're doing. They're not. They're not getting the interviews that they want, and they're not really sure what the problem is. You know, they think it might just be their resume. They think it might be that they're not following up, but they're just not quite sure, and they're really sort of struggling in that gray area. So they call and say, "Well, how could you possibly help?" And yeah. So how know. do you help? Yeah. Well, oh my gosh, a lot of different ways. Um, so when somebody signs up with career.me, they have a phone call with me, um, and I have a, I, I take them through a bit of an assessment. So really quickly, I narrow down where are they at in their career journey? Are they applying to jobs? Are they not sure? Are they looking for an education plan to, you know, boost up their skill set? I do an assessment, I figure out where they're at, and then our, I plug it into our software, and it basically creates a custom, um, like a custom career roadmap. And so the custom career roadmap outlines every single step that they need to take every week to get from where they are to where they want in tech, to the job that they want in tech. Mm -hmm. um, I am also available via this app basically any time of day, like let's say 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. through the week. So they can message their on-demand coach, which is me. They can message me anytime, <clears throat> excuse me, um, with any questions that they might have. So if somebody's struggling through a UX design course, or they just got an interview, like a request for an interview at like 8 p.m. on Monday and they have to like show up at 11 a.m. on Tuesday, they can actually message me and say, hey, Anya, Hi. I have an interview tomorrow. What the heck do I say to this person? And I will actually be there and either hop on the phone with them or just through Messenger be able to guide them through. So the two big things, a personalized career roadmap and on-demand coaching, those are what we provide. And so for some of your success stories, what have you seen the person coming in needing? And then what have you solved? And then how has that helped them go from point A to like point D? <laughs> sure. Well, okay. There's a few. I mean, there, okay. I, I, would, I have to brag about Dimple Patel because she just makes us look great. Uh, but Dimple was referred to our company I think it was in December of last year. We were still brand new. The software wasn't even out yet. We were creating career roadmaps and like UX pin, you know, mockups. Um, but Dimple said, hey, look, I need you to review all of my professional branding, my LinkedIn, my resume. I need you to look at my portfolio if you can and just help me clean it up so that it says one big message out to right. the world about my value, my work. Great. We worked together for a month and she did not anticipate working together after that. She's like, okay, I'm just going to go apply to jobs. She calls me back after two months and says, I need help. I'm applying to jobs. And like, I, she was in a certain situation where she needed to get a job as soon as possible. And, um, that was the first time that I really focused on this aspect called job search strategy, where I provided Dimple with a couple of different trainings on how she should look for a job, what her follow-up process should be, how she should communicate her skills in interviews. So I put her through that training. And what else did we do? We also centralized all of the jobs she's applying to in an Excel sheet. So every job she applies to, every follow-up that she does, everything is accounted for and she can look at all her data every single day. I don't day. think I've ever done that. And that's so simple, Sometimes. but so brilliant. Yeah. 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 Oh, I mean, yeah. And it, it helps so much, right? It helps so much. Yeah. yeah. And so obviously as her coach, I'm looking at that same data every single day and saying, Hey, you need to follow up with this person now and this. And, and so Dimple really helped me test out, does this really work? Does my own job search strategy provide any sort of benefit? And I let her know you're a bit of a Guinea pig and she got a job at proactive by the end of the month. Wow. Like we're talking the third week she had, you know, her second interview. And by the fourth week she had an offer and 
she was able to get the interview with Proactive because they loved her portfolio, mm -hmm. which I helped to review and really refine the language. So people like Dimple, because they were so open to our trainings and our methodology, she just helped prove that this is, this is really valuable and helped her a lot. That's amazing. Yeah, yes. you know, none of it's rocket science, right? It's no. just people need a plan. The thing I hear most often is, I just don't know what I don't know, and I don't feel prepared, and I feel like I must be missing skills, but I don't know which skills those are, and I don't know how to get them, and all of this is just way too much. I'm just going to stay where I am. Yeah, well, it's I, I empathize so much with anybody going through a career transition. I've been through several, and they're hell. Same. They're the and worst. They're, <laughs> they're the worst, and they're super emotional, and you don't know what you're going to do, and I don't... I don't, I don't really think that I treat people like I'm a career coach and like they need to be coached. It's more like, look, I'm going to provide some accountability and I'm going to create a plan based on your answers. Mm -hmm. Right. And then just move you through this process that is hell for most people. And, and just, these are just human beings and everybody needs help in their career transitions. They're hell for all of us. And I always remind people that when I talk to them, like, Oh, life got in the way. I get it. Yeah. But ultimately, they sign up with career.me, I don't think because they say to themselves, I need a career coach and I need help. It's more just like, yo, I want to get into my next job in tech. Yeah. Get me there faster. And I will. And that's my job. That's amazing. Well, I'm so excited that you're doing this because I think there's nobody better suited for this than you. And you. it's so exciting to see you, you know, doing a thing that you've kind of sort of are always known you should be doing your whole life, it sounds like. Which yeah. is why I love doing these interviews and asking the what did you want to be when you grew up because generally little pieces of uh, nuggets of wisdom come out in those answers of like, you know, you talking to your mom's boyfriend's family at, at holidays and stuff like just running business ideas fast. Like there are, there are moments, there's another thing I always used mm. to say, which was, you know, have you been knocking on the wrong door to the right room? And for you, I feel like that was career.me. You came at it a few different times, but it wasn't quite the right avenue or it wasn't quite the right time yet, or you didn't yeah. quite have the right skills yet. For me, the one-year career has been, um, I mean, I had a version of it in college. Then I had a GSD gal. Then I had the career experiment. And it was like, each of those were closer, but it wasn't until this thing that it was like, oh, this door opened, right? Same room. You were really close, but not quite the right you know, door and lock and key. So I think that's important for people to remember is if you feel like you were onto something at some point in your life, like it felt really good, but maybe didn't quite work out. Don't destroy that dream entirely because it just might not have been the right timing or you might not have been in the right place yet or know the right things yet or had the right support yet. Keep it on the back burner and keep every now and then coming back to it because you might find that now is the right time and this is the right door to that room. So. Oh, you're so right. I, like perfectly said for why and how I started career.me, it was the right time. I finally had the right skills mm -hmm. and all the tools that I needed. And I knew I wanted to build it with Ryan and Ryan was available to actually build a product. Right. So like yeah. those pieces have to fall into place when you have a good idea. Don't, don't just let it go. You know, like let it, let it stew. Yes. Let it marinate. Let it like, come to be when it's ready. And I think when we force things, generally they might work, mm. but not as well as they would have if you let them emerge when they were supposed to. And for ambitious, impatient people, I think like us, that is a challenge. But yes. I think we're both testaments to what can happen if you at least allow a little bit of patience in the process and, and acknowledge that sometimes things aren't the right fit yet, but maybe they will be eventually. So yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. I know your learning style. Yeah. I, had to, I had to plug that one in. Um, it takes time to learn stuff. <laughs> it yeah, takes time to actually so annoying, like, it's right? Sick. It's got to go through the layers of your brain and then you have to let it digest and then you, you want to apply it. And I think that we, we race to application and it's beautiful because that's how humans are. But only a year or two later, do you really grasp Oh, that's how products get built. Mm. Oh, that's what this aspect of business really means. I mean, that's how my brain works. It takes a while to really like realize the full big picture. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, we're just people trying to figure this shit out as we go. So we need to yes. be a little more gentle with ourselves along the way, yes. as difficult yes. as that is. Well, Anya, I love you and I think you're fantastic. <laughs> and I'm so glad you're one of my people and yes. I can't wait to see what happens next. So we'll link Thank to all you. of these things in the show notes. Definitely. If you are at all, even considering a transition into tech, you need to go check out career.me. It's with three E's, um, but just go to the show notes and click on it. And yeah, we'll keep an eye on you, Anya. I'm excited to see what's next. Thank you, Bailey. All right. Bye, guys.